Chapter 29 And yet, I must own my wickedness. I was in love with the wench, though her morals were not strictly pure. She scandalized with so winning a malignity that one liked her the better for it. Alain René Le Sage, Adventures of Gilles Blas, 1715 it is a cold mid-January evening after our return to Portland when I encounter Salazar's roommate Zoya out dancing in the Club Z basement. She spins on stiletto heels and her dreadlocks fly furiously above a tight blue dress. When the music begins merging into another track, I pull her aside. The scent of menthol and sweat flows between us. Hey, how's things at the House of Many Pleasures? She shrugs and leans closer. Fine, not much happening with Sally back in L.A. for a while. He'll return sometime late spring. We should talk later. Anyway, I can barely hear you. Oh, Tones on Tail is coming up. I gotta do this one. Zoya regains the dance floor and glides across the central painted spiral. Her arms sweep in wide, powerful movements. Damp with perspiration, the dress clings to her compact form with every motion. I can't look away. A brush against my elbow breaks this trance. Buenaventura stands nearby, eyes aglow under the black lights. Hey you, he gives me a hug. So, check this out. I want to do my own show upstairs next. Let's go someplace I can understand you better. We vacate the humid cellar chamber and step outside. Icy wind cuts down the street mercilessly. It penetrates my hoodie and every sweat droplet dries in an instant. Drag queens and teenage goths mingle around us, hand rollies or clove cigarettes clutched in frigid fingers. I was really inspired by your production with Isaiah, Buenaventura begins. I have an idea for one we could do together. So, imagine this, with the Portishead song Glory Box as soundtrack. I'll be a woman married to an abusive man. That's you. He beats her, but she's still in love with him. They dance together, and it turns into a rape scene. Afterwards, he's full of remorse, but she murders him. It'll be totally fucking fierce. Sure, I agree. That could be fun. Lovely. So, maybe come over and practice at my house this week? There's time. We're not scheduled till early February. How about Friday? I just have a morning class. Not much otherwise. Buenaventura nods. Okay, I'll write down directions later. Let's go back inside. I'm freezing my ass off out here. We file through the clustered pack, past tobacco-stained fingers, scuffed lineman's boots, and glittery cheeks. Soon, subterranean warmth absorbs us once more, and our limbs move to the harsh music as beats meld together in synthetic hallucinations all night long. The next afternoon, I knock loudly on Babette's study door. French dialogue blasts from the television set. Oui, she calls. I penetrate a solid wall of tropical heat. The space heater runs full bore and my professor sits pensively, an afghan covering her knees. Quick, shut that door! You'll end my life with that horrible chill! I close it and sit down on a small couch between stacked Jules Verne novels. Quebecois evening news chatters away. Babette stares at the screen with dissatisfaction and frowns. She turns the volume down. Look at this! British authorities have placed poor General Pinochet under house arrest. What an indignity! I snort in disbelief. <laughs> Poor General Pinochet. You know what his regime did to Chile? Babette scowls and her maroon bathrobe slips back, revealing one round breast. She scratches her belly with one hand. You know, Ross, it always surprises you to discover I really am quite a conservative. 
I look at her, torso half-exposed, an uncombed gray wig pushed back at an awkward angle. My mouth tries forming a retort, but instead I laugh. What is so funny? Babette exclaims. The large crucifix around her neck wobbles as she turns toward me. I can't control myself and nearly fall off the couch in hysterics. The old Vern paperbacks tumble over. It's, it's true, I reply at last. No, it's absolutely true, and that's why it's hilarious. Babette snorts with annoyance. <laughs> Please be careful with my library. I sometimes think I will never understand young people. I reach down and collect her scattered books. Sorry. Oh, speaking of young people, I agreed to join another performance at the club where I dance downtown. It's with Buenaventura, the one who choreographed my first show there. Instead of a concentration camp love story, this one is about sex violence and spousal abuse. What charming topics. You should invite this young fellow over for dinner sometime. With sensibilities like these, he sounds quite enjoyable. Yeah, I agree. You two probably would get along. I'll ask if he'd enjoy that. Maybe after our event. The kitchen telephone rings. It sounds strange, higher pitched than usual. Babette sits up straight and pushes aside her afghan. Oh, hi, Rose. That might be my cousin in France. I am so eager to speak with her. I enter the kitchen, but pause. This ring is indeed different, more shrill, almost distorted. I stare at the caller ID box. Instead of green numbers and French text, the LED screen now glows red and pulsates with every urgent tone. 999-999-9999 flashes across it again and again. My professor now stands behind me. I turn around. Babette, were you expecting a call from Satan? What? She looks closer at the machine. Oh dear, perhaps you should answer it. All right. I pick up the receiver. Hello? There is no response. After a series of light clicks, the line goes dead. I shrug and set it back. My professor purses her lips, inspects the caller ID, and suddenly cries out in alarm. Mon Dieu, look at this. It says unknown. There is no more French. That should be incongru. You know, we always suspected the devil is an Englishman. What a catastrophe. Don't worry, I can reset it. Hold on. Just a few selections. English. Spanish. Wait. Now French. There. Look, it's back in your language of God again. <laughs> Thank you, Ross. You can't imagine what terror I just suffered. The idea of that machine speaking a Mongol tongue at me every day. The phone rings again, this time a normal tone. I pick it up. Hello? Ross, it's Anakia. Oh, hey. Are you free tonight? I glance over. Babette, do we have scrabble plans this evening? Anakia wants to hang out. My professor shakes her head. No, you should go. Please enjoy yourself. Looks like I'm not required here. What's happening? Do you want to meet at the Galaxy? You know, that bar across Burnside from my hotel? Sure. When around do you think? Well, it's 7.30 now. How about we meet in an hour? I can send one of my boys over. Your boys? The stripper shuttle boys. They drive girls between clubs and other places. Fellas can make a decent living at that. There's one who never charges, since he hopes I'll fuck him someday. I like sending him on errands. Well, all right then. Anakia laughs. Look for him in 40 minutes. Okay, see you soon. I hang up and smile at Babette, who waits expectantly. Well, looks like I'll have my own chauffeur this evening. Around the appointed time, our doorbell rings. A slight man stands on the doorstep, pale features glowing under the porch light. His crooked teeth grit together in a scowl. 
I follow him to an older minivan parked out front, and we drive off. The vehicle reeks of stale cigarettes and a small ashtray overflows, some butts well anointed with bright lipstick. Ten minutes later, my silent driver pulls into the galaxy's parking lot. Blue neon reflects off the stubby hood. Thanks, I offer. He grunts in dismissal. I rifle through my wallet for a tip, but he shakes his head, waving me away, a large pinky ring glittering. The minivan roars off. Its fan belt screeches as I walk inside and scan the room. A handful of patrons nurse beers before video poker machines or rub scratch tickets around Woodverner tables. Anakia sits at the bar between two older bearded men, both talking at once. She is uncharacteristically dressed down in workout gear, a half-consumed cocktail before her. Her face lights up as she sees me and smiles. The men glare. Anakia turns away from them to give me a hug. Let's grab a booth, she suggests. I order a drink and join her toward the rear. So, ever get any poetry written? I ask. No, not really. There's so much going on these days. I can never concentrate. How do you manage writing? It's not hard in Babette's basement. There's usually peace and quiet, plus her library is just around the corner if I need reference on just about any subject. Of course, I'm not composing poetry. Research papers are what I love. God, that sounds so boring. How's Babette doing anyway? She's back like nothing ever happened. Maybe it's all the mineral water she drinks. I'll bet her circulatory system runs on that instead of blood. Anakia smirks. So, when's the wedding? Oh my god, shut up. I'm pretty sure that was just Bet's crazy talking. Can I be a bridesmaid? How about this? If I actually marry Babette, you can be a bridesmaid and jump naked out of the wedding cake. But remember, on our wedding night, it'll be you she wants, not me. Anakia laughs and turns her head. Abruptly, she sits up straight. Oh, check out that guy. I spy a hottie. I crane my neck. Where? Don't be so obvious. In the corner booth. I look again. That fellow in back with his girlfriend? Come on, do you really think they're together? My eyebrows lift. The pair holding hands? He's too cute for her. I'm much better looking. I shrug and take a sip of my drink. The girl, a slightly plump brunette with braids, stands up and walks past our booth. She heads toward the restroom. Anakia quickly stands. Watch out for that bitch and cover me. Anakia, I hiss. I'm not your goddamn security guard. This isn't war. Fuck. It's too late. Anakia is already out of earshot. She approaches the man and sits down. Their heads bend close. I take a deep swallow of my cocktail and sigh, swirling ice cubes with a thin black straw. Before a minute passes, Anakia saunters back, her expression thoughtful. So, how'd it go? I ask. She purses her lower lip. Not such a winner close-up. Pockmarks, bad teeth. He gave up a number pretty quick. That is his girlfriend, but he's willing to trade up. This could be fun. What could be fun? Oh... Almost anything, really. After a moment, the brunette returns. As she nears us, Anakia snakes at an arm and grabs her elbow. Excuse me, she begins, voice hesitant. I'm so embarrassed. But is that your boyfriend? He came over and hit on me just now. It didn't seem right. Is this his number? Anakia hands over a paper bar napkin. The girl takes it and stares. Every drop of blood in her round cheeks drains away. She tries to speak, but only stutters, face slack. I am so sorry, Anakia commiserates. Men are just pigs! 
I kick her shoe under the table. The girl's eyes water and jaw muscles tighten as she crumples the napkin up in a fist. She makes a beeline for her boyfriend and flings the wad at him. It bounces off his chest. You fucking bastard! She screams. Tears run down her face in torrents. The man mumbles, his head swiveling back at us, palms upturned helplessly. Set with fury, the brunette grabs her boyfriend and marches him outside, abandoning mugs of beer and a half-full pitcher. From the parking lot, an engine roars into life, then quickly fades. Anakia still watches the door, her smile brilliant. That was a shitty thing to do, I exclaim. What do you mean? That girl owes me a favor. Maybe, but if her man was hotter, you'd have taken him away, at least long enough to prove you could without even dressing up. Anakia nods. Yeah, it's true. But still, I did a public service. You can't say that's nothing. Plus, her eyes fix mine with a knowing glint. You enjoyed it too. Don't act all high and mighty. I suppose I wouldn't spend time with you if I wasn't at least somewhat a cruelty voyeur. Still, damn, that poor girl. A hum reverberates from Anakia's purse, and she glances inside. Just a second, Ross. I gotta take this. She speaks quickly into her cell. After a moment, she snaps the phone closed. So, Anakia leans toward me. That was a guy who visited work yesterday. He asked how much money for sex, and I said $700. Hell, my phone number cost him 50 Anyway, it's a deal. He'll be at my motel in 20 minutes. Damn, I choke. Well, have fun with Mr. Big Spender. Catch you later then. Oh no, Anakia contradicts. It's not like that. Once he arrives, I'll tell him he can't fuck me, but for 400, I'll strip and let him jerk off. I shrug. Well, like I said, have fun with that. Thanks for getting me out of the house a bit this evening. Her brow contorts with indignation. You just abandoned me? I nod vigorously. What do you want? I said before I wasn't your security guard. This guy will be royally pissed you're running a cocktease scam. Anakia pouts out her lower lip. You'll feel sorry if you read about me in the papers tomorrow. Raped and murdered with my body all chopped up in a ditch somewhere. I sigh. That's not likely. What could you even want me to do? She drums her long fingernails on the table. How about this? You hide in the shower, and if there's trouble, run out and help. No, I exclaim. That's a terrible idea. We'll have a coat arranged. You can eavesdrop and tell if things are okay. For real? No. Come on. I'll even give you a cut. How about 60 bucks? That's fair. You're not even the one who gets naked. Oh my fucking god, Anakia. Clothes won't help since I'll be the one he shoots first. She shakes her head. I doubt he has a gun. Yeah, well, you don't know for sure. Ross, you're such a worrier. This will be great. We'll have fun, make some money, and you can feel good not letting me get killed. Seriously, I don't know why I'm even considering this. I crunch down on a melting ice cube. Oh, all right, what the hell? Anakia grins. Let's hurry. We exit the bar and Jay walk across Burnside to her motel. A homebum shivers against the wall, and we ignore his request for change. Inside her room, I survey the usual mess. Clothes, money, fast food wrappers, soda cans, cosmetic tubes, and condiment jars. First of all, that cash has gotta go, I announce. Plus, we need to straighten everything up. Hardly looks like a $700 hooker lives here. 
Anakia stuffs clothes under the bed while I grab bills with both fists. This bundle I shove behind Eastern spirituality books and poetry collections on a shelf. Crusty liquid eyeliner bottles, empty tortilla chip bags, and torn magazine pages fly into the garbage can. Once that fills, I cram more trash inside a plastic grocery sack and tie it shut. Anakia organizes scattered VHS tapes under the wall-mounted television and picks broken wine glass shards out of stained carpeting in the corner. This lighting won't do, I muse. Two floor lamps glare through torn shades that cast blotchy patterns on the wall. Yeah, Anakia agrees. Let's improvise. She stretches a leopard print top over one and steps back. Half the room softens into an amber glow. Nice, I observe. We just need something for the other one. What about this? I hold up a pink hoodie. Maybe. No, too thick. Oh, my peach blouse might work. It's a bit sheer. Hey, look at that. And the cherry on top of the cake? I've got a stick of incense. She lights this in a ceramic holder and places it on the windowsill. Aromatic smoke corkscrews upward. Hella sexy in here, Anakia proclaims. She glances in a wall mirror. Fuck, but I'm not. With a fluid motion, she tears off the t-shirt and hops out of her sweatpants. Nothing underneath. Low light plays over every curve from her luscious breasts to perfect ass. Anxiety in my brain disappears as lust expands, filling every lobe. I breathe deep and slowly exhale. This is no time for distraction. A blue towel hangs nearby, and I cover the wine stain with it. Turning back, my loins jolt uncontrollably. Anakia rummages under her bed, thighs spread and smooth bottom arched. After a moment, she withdraws, black bra and leopard print panties in hand. These don't match, she remarks, but no one will complain about that. Anakia slips on the underwear, fastens her bra, and zips up a crumpled red dress. An oriental dragon motif writhes across it in gold thread. Okay, now my makeup needs a retouch and we're set. Come on, check where your security post is. We enter a small bathroom, past the tiny kitchenette, where Anakia refines her face with eyebrow pencil, mascara, and lipstick. Your shower curtain isn't much coverage, I point out. What if this guy takes a leak? He'll see me for sure. Still such a worrier. Just stay back in the corner. So, what's our code phrase? Help, I'm about to get stabbed? Ross, you really spend too much time around drag queens lately. You never used to be so dramatic. Well, this is the first time I feared for my life around you. How about this? At first sign of trouble, I'll use the word chartreuse. Just a heads up something is amiss. Then, if I need you to barge in and kick ass, I'll call on Tara to protect me. That's the creator goddess of protection. I nod. Got it. As she speaks, low rumbles thump outside, bass notes rattling every window. I duck my head around the doorframe to see widely spaced headlamps from a large vehicle glare through the thin curtains. He's here, Anakia hisses. Get back! I'll leave the door ajar! I retreat and switch the lights out. My boots squeak as I step into the plastic bathtub and freeze amidst almost total darkness. The incense smell fades, replaced by a mixture of grout mold and mouthwash. I tense up, every nerve twitching. From outside, the car stereo pounds, then falls silent. A metal door slams. Good, just one. But what if friends wait in his back seat? 
A sharp knock rings out, and the motel door creaks open. I hear muffled greetings. A man is talking, deep voice gruff. The words aren't distinct. Then he shouts, fuck, and something thumps. Chill out, will ya? Anakia cries loudly. She continues, but the rest I can't make out. Was that end the ruse? Good news? Chartreuse? Either way, I'm on alert. Blood tingles through every vein and pulsing adrenaline throbs from head to fingertips. How much time has passed? Five minutes? Fifteen? The mold stench is suffocating. I hear nothing. Then Puff Daddy blasts on Anakia's boombox. I strain anguished ears and suddenly recognize call letters from a local R&B radio station. Now a TLC track starts. Fingernails dig into my palms. I'll never hear anything until it's too late. Each second scrapes by until mid-song, the music cuts. After a murmur of talk, the door opens again, then shuts. I slowly step out onto warped linoleum. An engine starts outside, and tires screech as the vehicle roars away. In the main room, Anakia stands beside her discarded dress, bra in one hand. She holds a large fan of bills across her bosom. Eyelashes flutter as she grins at me with triumph. Check this, she calls, and hurls the money upward. Bills cascade down in a whirlwind. Guy wasn't happy, but he settled. I didn't even strip down all the way. He shot his load in a hurry and wanted to get the hell out. Did you sound the chartreuse alarm? I couldn't hear shit. Anakia nods. He got pissed at first and kicked a chair. I said something about my dress being chartreuse. It's not, of course, but that fool didn't know. Got him calmed down pretty quick after that. Here, take a cut for all your hard work. She kneels down and scoops three twenties off the floor. I take the cash and fold it away. Both hands still slightly tremble. I run them across the stubble of my shaved head. So, just a typical night for you then? 280, 300, 320, 340. Okay, you should relax, Ross. Everything worked out fine. Great, even. This girl's gotta pay bills somehow.